The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the sixth chapter. Glory to you, Lord. When the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were beside the sea, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him, in whom who he has sent. So they said to him, What sign are you to give us then, that we may see it and believe you? What work are you performing? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated, and the children may come forward for a children's sermon. for you. A few weeks ago we talked about what it's like to apologize. How one person says I'm sorry and the other person says it's okay. Not meaning that the thing that was done is okay but the relationship between us is okay. I want to ask something. What does a good apology seem like? There you go. They look you in the eye. They say, I'm sorry. Why they're sorry. Then the other person accepts it, right? Now, if I say something like this, uh, Anthony, I'm very sorry. It was kind of your fault, but I know I did something too. <laughs> so I'm sorry. Is that a good apology? <laughs> Seems iffy, right? What would make it better? They look us in the eye and they say, I'm very sorry. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, you kind of leave out that business about, well, it's kind of your fault too, right? Yeah. Um, I have two things to say. One. Is it about apologies? Nah. Well, <coughs> Let's hear the one about apologies. Uh, lots of people say apologies not accepted. Yeah, sometimes people say the apologies not accepted. What happens then? Well, then you keep working, right? Sometimes you need some time apart. Sometimes people need to cool down. Have you ever needed a cool down before? I know I have. Sometimes people need time apart. Sometimes people need to cool down. Sometimes you need to say I'm sorry lots and lots of times. But you keep working. In today's story, uh, King David has done something really, really bad. And so there's a prophet, Nathan. He comes up and he tells him exactly what's been done. And he goes through it again and again and again in story and then in reality. And finally David says that he's done a terrible thing. And we're almost there, aren't we? The first part to a good apology is saying what has been done and admitting that you are wrong. It's hard to have a good apology if you won't admit what you've done, right? But we believe that there is love for us no matter when we do something wrong and no matter what it is, even when it's terrible. We can always admit our wrongdoing. Always. Now as you get older, that gets more and more and more and more difficult. But I think it's more and more and more and more important to be able to say when we're wrong, to live with one another in that wrongness, and to know that God loves us more than our wrongness. To know that God loves us more than anything we can do. This week, I imagine you'll have an opportunity for apologizing. Think about what you've done. Admit it as best you can. And know that there will always be love of God for you. When you're right, when you're wrong, and everything else. There will always, always be love. Shall we pray? Let us pray. God of grace, you love us now, and you'll love us always. We ask that in the midst of our lives, when we do something wrong, you would help us to admit that fully and to work with the people that we've wronged to make things right again. We ask that uh, when someone doesn't accept our apology, you give us strength to keep working. We ask that when we do something wrong, you give us strength to admit when we're wrong. And we ask that you might create love between us and our neighbors that might be much stronger than any wrong we can do. Thank you for being a God that makes things right. In your name we pray. Amen. We have a snack for you. Yeah, I say, ask me after the service. Okay. In the name of Jesus, amen. We continue 
this story from last week. Last week, if you weren't here with, with this first reading focus, David was sitting idle in his place while everybody else was out to war. And, and as he sat idle and as he got up in the middle of the afternoon, not really being with his people, not really fulfilling his duties as king of Israel, he got up and saw Bathsheba, Bathsheba bathing. And because he had no real respect for this woman, he took this woman as his own. Not really asking, but demanding that she come to him. And we heard last week how this, this kind of thing happens with us too. It's not that we're doing the same things that David is doing, but we are all capable of looking at someone else or something else and thinking of it as ours and not recognizing the good gift of God, the good creation of God that it is. Whether it's another human being or whether it's ourselves or whether it's anything in this world. That everything we see and touch and hold is not to be considered ours to do as we wish, but to be considered God's, to be loved as God would love it, and cared for as God would care for it. And so we continue. And we have a new character, right? This new character walks up as a prophet to David and says blatantly, multiple times, in a story that's not really veiled, so much it is pointed, specifically what David has done wrong. Specifically why it's wrong that David had done this. Now there's several parts of this pro uh, parable that I don't really like. One, it kind of treats Bathsheba as an item, as a good. The thing that David did wrong for some reason is taking something that wasn't his as if one farmer would take a sheep from another. It's greater than that. It also treats this story kind of simply. That's something that can be repaired, but David has killed Uriah. David has ruined the relationship between Uriah and his wife. And David has not asked for the consent of Bathsheba. These are much more terrible things. But this prophet does something that's kind of rare today. He says it. And he says it directly to the king. And he says it out loud. There's not a lot of fanfare. There's no media coverage. Well, I shouldn't say that. There is one media coverage because it is written in a book. But it's not on a 24-hour news cycle. It's not the, the popular thing to talk about in the day. No, this seems to matter centrally to this prophet. And it seems to matter centrally to this story. Anyone from Uriah to David and anywhere in between anyone doing something like this must be held accountable. Must have the truth spoken.
What happens when the truth is spoken? What happens when something like this is done? We don't really get that part yet, right? We're not to that part yet. In our popular culture, a lot of times it's, you know, lose your job, lose your status, lose something, and then we just kind of move on. But that's not exactly what we're moving towards here. You see, in the Christian life, it's more than just punishment that fits some kind of crime. It's more than just making sure that there's some kind of justice slash vengeance taken towards someone who misuses power. That's popular then in the world. That's popular today in the world. That's popular throughout time. Christians aim for something much more difficult and much more impactful. Christians aim for reconciliation. Christians aim to live in a life of grace and justice at the same time. It's good to have a story like this every once in a while because it really gets at the truth of what grace and justice look like. So often I think and we cheapen grace. I think we make it into something where we're just kind of letting each other slide. I do this sin, I know you do this sin too, let's just let each other go by. There are several, several, several things we do in this life that look like that. Anywhere from returning correspondence on time to making sure we do a good job in our jobs to obeying the speed limit. I mean, there's just a lot of those little things that kind of float by where we give each other some kind of allowance, but that's not what grace really is. Grace isn't letting each other sin. Grace is telling the truth about our sin and standing right in front of the reality of our sin and then having someone announce, namely that person who has been wronged or the community that has been wronged, the things that our sin hurts. The ones that our sin hurts. Having that stand in front of us. Announce to us back the reality of our sin. And that being the beginning of mercy. That being the beginning of grace. What would it look like if confession and forgiveness took days? It does. But what would it look like if our order of worship began each Monday? And I'd say something like, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then I just sent you all out so that you can go directly to the people that you were sinning. And you can stand right in front of them. And you would say the things you have done. Now sometimes you just need to turn to your neighbor. And sometimes you need to go quite a ways. But somehow you would say to them the things you have done. And then you would just sit in silence. Waiting for them to somehow respond. Sometimes in ways that are positive. Thank you so much. Like we, we, we're starting to repair this. And sometimes in things that are negative. Yeah, you hurt me. It was terrible. And just showing up here doesn't make it go away. Just like in this story, confession and forgiveness begins with truth. 
It begins with honesty. Grace isn't cheap. In the truth of our sins, in the truth of who we are, we stand in front of the God and of the ones that that God loves that are hurt by our sin and we say that and we wait in silence. And we believe in a God that while bringing justice on behalf of the ones who are the least, the half of the ones who are the weakest, on behalf of the ones who are oppressed, we also believe in a God of grace, of love, and of mercy. Because even though we have sinned, there's a great deep love for us and for the ones we've sinned. And God seeks to weave those together or at least to weave those whole again. What does it look like to confess confess your sin? What does it look like to be honest and true in your daily lives? Explore that. Explore that as if Nathan has just showed up on your doorstep telling you a story, a very thinly veiled story about your life. Explore that as if there is honesty inside of us, welling up inside of us in a way where we need to say what we have done to the ones we have hurt. Explore that knowing the end while it may be very bumpy throughout will be an end of love. It is always with your God an end of love. we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, God, who is faithful and just, will cleanse us of our sin, will forgive us our sin, and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. This is a promise I rest in. I invite this week for you to rest in it too. May God be merciful. Amen.